Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. New CEO Marissa Meyer's recent decision to require Yahoo workers to come to headquarters for work has provoked a vigorous discussion about telecommuting. On the other end of the spectrum, some suggest that in today's world, employees should not have set hours, just clear goals. No matter what else may change, we'll likely always have to deal with office politics. We'd like you to tell us about your working life today, especially as it's affected by technology. How's your workplace changing? Are you a successful telecommuter? Maybe you've had a bad telecommuting experience. Do you have flexible hours? What are your company's rules? Our guests will include Kathy Chudabo, Associate Professor of Management Information Systems at USU John M. Huntsman School of Business, Meredith Ferguson, Assistant Professor of Management, also at the Huntsman School, and Jenna Francis and Rhett Clevenger, President and CEO, respectively, of Utah-based Steels.com. Your questions and comments for the hour, your working life, following the news. Support for Access Utah comes from Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan. Open Monday through Saturday until 2 with a changing menu of a specialty salad, French breakfast pastries with local seasonal fruits, and lunch sandwiches. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. New CEO Marissa Meyer's recent decision to require Yahoo workers to come to headquarters for work has provoked a vigorous discussion about telecommuting. On the other end of the spectrum, some suggest that in today's world, employees should not have set hours, just clear goals. And no matter what else may change, we'll likely always have to deal with office politics. We're going to talk about all of those things on today's program. We're going to ask you to tell us about your working life, especially as it's affected by technology. Uh, how is your workplace changing? Are you a successful telecommuter? We'd love to hear your uh, story. Or maybe you've had a bad telecommuting experience. We'd love to hear that as well. Do you have flexible hours? What are your company's rules? And are you able to manage a good work-life balance? All those uh, questions we're throwing out to you. Love to get you part of this discussion. The number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or upraxis at gmail.com. Our guests in studio include Kathy Chudaba, Associate Professor of Management Information Systems in the USU John M. Huntsman School of Business. Welcome to the program. Hi, Tom. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. We also have in studio um, President and CEO, respectively, of Utah-based company Steels.com. We welcome in uh, Jenna Francis, the president of the company. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for joining for us. Me. And Rhett Clevenger, who's CEO. Thank you. Glad to be here. And uh, later in the program, we'll be joined by Meredith Ferguson, who is Assistant Professor of Management in the USU John M. Huntsman School of Business. And uh, she does a lot of research on work-life balance, uh, incivility in the workplace, politics in the workplace. We'll get into those subjects. We'll start out with the telecommuting. And I want to start with uh, you, Jenna Francis. Sure. You were telling me before we went on the air, you have some definite opinions about uh, Marissa Meyer's decision. Uh, famous. It, it spread uh, throughout the, the media. Uh, because I think it, it, it goes to the heart of uh, what a lot of people are liking. They're liking telecommuting. Then she called everybody home. Uh, what's your view of this? Well, I can relate to the position that Marissa is in. Telecommuting and the ability to work from home is fantastic when, again, you've got um, the metrics to be able to measure um, the success of that individual no matter where they're doing their job. And um, what I know for sure about telecommuting is that it, in order to create relationships and to foster innovation, you have to be in the same room. And so I can relate to Marissa's decision because they, it, she had to make some kind of a call. Yahoo was, was in, in trouble at the time and needed to find a way to um, create a more innovative and, and quick 
quick moving culture. And when she's, you know, inheriting this business, if you will, she's got to sort of bring her troops together and get everybody um, rallied and, and create the culture that she wants to set. And doing that when a large portion of the company is kind of doing their own individual roles at home, it's really hard to get, you know, all the troops marching in the, in the way that you need them to. So um, I understand why she made that decision. I, I would probably make the same one if I was in her shoes. And, um, you know, the other thing is she was faced with potentially having to do a layoff. And this prevented her from being able, from needing to do that on the short term because it allowed her to be able to know, you know, who's here because they want to be an amazing employee of an amazing company or who's here because they want to have flexibility and be able to work from home. Mm. And so I think she was kind of delaying uh, a potential layoff by um, allowing that, um, you know, the, the people to leave that really weren't in it to win it for Yahoo. So um, I, I feel like if I was in her shoes, that was a, a smart first place to start. Mm. Right, Clevenger, in fact, recently Steels.com has instituted some rules on telecommuting. Or, or made some changes. Yeah, it's a it's a constant, constantly evolving process for us. We've experimented um, with uh, a lot of people working from home when we started the company. Everybody worked from home because we didn't have the the company was ran out of our homes. And over time, as we've grown, we're over seventy employees now. We've realized that the ability to collaborate and to innovate becomes increasingly difficult as you grow in numbers. And uh, for a product-based business, there's an inherent uh, challenge with not having your hands on the product uh, when you're selling online. Uh, One of the main uh, challenges to selling online is that you can't touch and feel the product yourself. So that if the people that are selling it to you also don't have access to the product readily available, um, it can make it more difficult to provide the level of service that you need to. Professor Chudaba, this it seems ironic. That, you know, Yahoo, and we're talking with you know the present CEO of Steels.com, these technology companies, the, and they're telling us that there are some problems with using technology <laughs> to collaborate. Uh, that that you have to be in the same room for some business purposes? Well, certainly research has shown that, especially in the early stages of forming teams, having that face-to-face personal contact, breaking bread with each other, that's why so often teams will have lunches and meals together, establishing that personal connection is uh, very important. But in today's world, it doesn't always happen. And so if you have a company like Intel, the vast majority of their employees are working with other colleagues who are not co-located on a given Intel campus. And so what uh, Intel will do is create social events even with their uh, teams. So they may FedEx brownies to everyone around uh, different locations. And so they're all having some sort of shared experience to build that uh, sense of trust and understanding of each other uh, in order to succeed and collaborate successfully. Mm. A big part of this, um, I'm understanding as I'm investigating this more, is, is trust, isn't it? Um, and I guess that cuts both ways. The, the, the management has to be able to trust the employer to get things done. 
employee needs to feel like they're trusted. That's right. Trust in terms of, as Jana said, performance metrics. So if I'm used to evaluating my employee's performance by seeing them in their chair behind a desk, and I don't have explicit metrics that say, this is what your performance is like, this is how I know you're contributing to the organization, then when I don't see you in that chair, how do I know that you're working? On the other hand, the employee has to trust management. There's that out of sight, out of mind. And some employees are concerned about telecommuting because of the negative career impacts. If my manager, if my colleagues don't see me around, they're not going to consider me for that next job opportunity, that promotion. So you're right. Trust grows both ways. And Jennifer Francis, I know you've worked in environments where the, I guess, the the philosophy of management was, we need to see you. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why at steels.com, when we first started, we were so understanding and flexible with, um, you know, where employees were, you know, and we wanted to create this altruistic, flexible environment where people could, you know, uh, be extremely effective at their job, but also feel like they've got this great balance with being able to go to all of their, you know, kids' performances and, and events and, and not miss those things. And because I have worked in that environment where it was important to be in your seat at 8 a.m. and it was important to still be in your seat at 5 p.m. and you were considered an overachiever if the 5 p.m. led into 6, 7, 8, 9, etc. at night. And uh, that was that was very highly valued. And the way it made me feel was, you know, an inherent mistrust in my performance, my abilities, and that um, I focused sometimes more on being there than what actually I really needed to do to be most effective in my role. And I knew how it felt to miss a lot of those important events in your life. And you do over time kind of resent your job a little bit because you feel like, man, you know, if I just, and that's what actually gets you looking at something else or thinking, you know, if the grass would be greener somewhere else is because, man, if I wasn't doing this, then I'm missing that. And there's a lot of guilt involved with missing important events, assuming you're a parent. So um, Rhett and I really set out to create what we would consider the altruistic, perfect, and utopia environment of, um, em, you know, employee satisfaction. Um, but that's also come after five years now of learning a tremendous amount about, you know, the the impact on that on a growing company. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like was mentioned earlier, if, if you have perfect metrics on what it takes to exceed in a role, um, then it, it really can work um, really, really well. But um, if you don't, and you're a growing company, and you need to innovate and collaborate and create a really solid teamwork, uh, a lot of that has to happen in person. Mm. So uh, I'm hearing you say that in previous jobs, some of the frustrations there led you to to start Steels.com. Absolutely. And and now you're and you're, you're trying to to make a uh, maybe a leading edge company in terms of a good workplace. Yes. Now you're running into some problems that uh, you're going to have to make some adjustments. Yeah. It's uh it's a really interesting thing once you're in that seat and have to make that decision, mm-hmm. you know, the the, the decisions that you that you make. And it also depends on the culture of um or the the temperature of what's going on in the company as well. When Rhett and I were the most flexible was when um things were, you know, the growth was just um incredible and um everybody was extremely successful in their role, but when when um you really need to tighten the belt and uh take a look at 
continuing that growth and how you continue that um, when that stops happening the way it was before, you really are forced to look and say, okay, you know, what can we do to continue to foster that growth with the environment of, of our employees and, and make sure that not only do they have the tools and equipment necessary to do their job, but the teamwork necessary and the collaboration and the, um, and the, um, also that, but still breeding that feeling of, um, that they can still be an incredibly effective employee, but also um, be incredibly effective in their personal life as well. Rick Liebinger, um, I'm curious about the reaction from employees. They've had a very flexible work environment, a lot of telecommuting. Now you're putting a few more rules on that because you need to collaborate, you need to have team face-to-face time. You're finding you need to do this. Is there pushback to the complaints? Uh, what are employees telling you? Well, it's interesting. It goes both ways. There are some people who thank us for making changes to require other people that they rely on on a regular basis to be more present. Mm-hmm. And they say it is much easier f- for me to do my job when everybody's here at the same time doing the same thing. And uh, we have had resistance as well. And it, it really is role specific. There are some roles that can be done perfectly fine from anywhere in the world as long as you have an internet connection. And there are other more critical collaborative roles that uh, you know, are, are quite difficult to do remotely. A mm-hmm. um, good example of that is uh, customer service. The way that we do customer service is to empower them to do the right thing. They don't have um, scripts and uh, rules necessary to follow, but they know what it means to give uh, somebody a good customer service and they understand all the elements of the business. Um, some other ones that are a little bit more challenging is more in the design or the technology uh, side of things where you um, have a, a huge benefit by looking at the same screen at the same time, using your fingers to point to things, using um, emotion and um, pronunciation and, and, and um, you can you can get people excited. You can get people's attention. Sometimes um, we have a a really good technologist that works remotely, and um, sometimes we're in, when we're in conference rooms and that sort of things, I will forget um, that he's on that he can only hear me when I'm close to the mic. I'll get up and walk around the room, and he will have missed some of the meeting unintentionally, and it's kind of an out of sight, out of mind. Um, you know, situation that requires the business itself to have really good notes, really good agendas, and a little bit more organized of uh, uh, facilitating the remote environment. And for a relatively newer company, some of those things aren't as established as you know as they are in more mature and established companies. So, I'd have to say it certainly goes goes both ways. Everybody loves the convenience of not having to make the commute. Um, you save a lot of cost, and you save a tremendous amount of time. Um, and But other people also really enjoy um, breaking away from the personal and home life, going to work, getting in, getting, you know, getting uh, really busy, cranking stuff out. And then when you go home, you can leave work at work and you can now enter into the home with a, a fresh perspective. Sometimes we find that uh, people who work from home end up mixing the two up and feeling like they work a lot longer day than um, what others do because um, they're trying to multitask. They're trying to go back and forth between uh, personal life and work life. And um, some people are really good at managing that. And some people find that very challenging. We've had people on their own come into the office just to create an environment where they can focus on work. Yeah, I could see that. I've talked to some friends who've had that problem. I can imagine myself having that problem too. If if I'm at home, (laughs) I may be distracted. 
and I could see how a workday might uh, you know seem like it's 15 hours and you only get six hours of work done. Um, we're going to take a brief break. When we come back, we'll ask Professor Chudabo what some of their latest research is. Um, I imagine some of the research probably confirms what uh, Rhett was just saying. And uh, we'll talk about what the trend is, whether the more uh, Americans, Utahns, are uh, telecommuting or less. I, I think probably it's trending up. Uh, I think that's why this uh, was, was kind of shocking to some people when Marissa Meyer made her, uh, made her announcement, uh, because we thought the trend was toward telecommuting. And we're asking you what your experience has been. If you've had a good telecommuting experience, uh, maybe a bad one, uh, what about your working life in general, especially as it's affected by technology? How's your workplace changing? What are the rules in your workplace? And do you agree with those? Uh, the number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or you can join us at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. We are talking with uh, Kathy Chudaba, who is Associate Professor of Management Information Systems in the USU John M. Huntsman School of Business, and uh, with uh, Jenna Francis, President, and Rhett Clevenger, CEO, respectively, of Utah-based Steels.com. More following the break. The beginning of the summer season is just around the corner. You've got places to go, people to see, fun things to do. Utah Public Radio's 60th Anniversary Auction can help you plan your recreation and entertainment. The auction is now open with more than 400 items worth $50,000. And you'll probably find something that you'd like to bid on at upr.org, upr.org. Most auction items are donated and support Utah Public Radio. It's the Utah Public Radio 60th Anniversary Auction, now open at upr.org, upr.org. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by Logan Summerfest Arts Fair, June 13th through 15th, celebrating 30 years of fine arts and crafts in 17 mediums, daily musical performances on two stages, food, and children's activities. Information at logansummerfest.com. You're listening to Access Utah. We're talking about some workplace issues on the program today. Specifically, uh, we've been talking about telecommuting. We're going to continue that discussion. We'll um, morph into a discussion a little later in the program about work-life balance. And uh, we'll be joined by Meredith Ferguson, who's assistant professor uh, in the USU Huntsman School of Business. Uh, we're talking also about flexible work schedules, and uh, we'll be bringing up a little later in the program this provocative uh, blog post. Uh, this is an entrepreneur. She says, I'm not balancing work and life, and I feel great. So we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll run that past you as well. The number is 1-800-826-1495. What is your working life like? What, uh, what, what's your job? Uh, how do you do it? And uh, is telecommuting a part of this? How is technology changing your job? And have you had a good or bad telecommuting experience, flexible hours? What are your company's rules? Do you agree with those? And is that helping you with your work-life balance? Tell us about that as well. The number is 1-800-826-1495, and uh, the email is upraxis at gmail.com. So, Professor Chudabout, uh, before the break, we uh, heard from uh, Rhett Clevenger. He was talking about some of the pros and cons mm -hmm. of uh, telecommuting, and uh, I'm, I'm wondering uh, what some of the trends are, what some of the research is showing. Well, in terms of trends, uh, just recently the U.S. Census Bureau released a report looking back to 2010 and said that 13 million Americans were telecommuting at least one day a week. Uh, and that number has increased at least 10% uh, over the last 10 years. So not a huge increase, 
but but certainly uh, definitely going up. And again, it depends on the job role. So computer engineering science jobs are most likely to support telecommuting. Those numbers jumped 70 percent from 2000 to 2010, according to the Census Bureau, up to 432,000 people. So Lots and lots of Americans are telecommuting at least one day a week. And that seems to be a trend in terms of uh, not necessarily telecommuting all day or five days a week, whatever your normal work week is, but one or two days a week to allow the employee some flexibility in how he or she uh, accomplishes their work to save the commuting time, uh, that sort of thing, but also to allow a lot of face time. Within organizations, that ability to set um, processes that support telecommuting are important. So do I use my time away from the office for uninterrupted think time where I can really focus intently on my assignments and my role responsibilities and become quite productive? On the other hand, when I'm telecommuting and not in the office, does that mean that I still need to be available for meetings? And so I'm calling in for meetings, which reduces is a little bit of that flexibility. I don't have the commute time, but my day is not my own to plan. Um, yeah, I think that uh, it can spur creativity, can it, Jennifer Francis? If you're if you're more flexible, it seems like that would maybe spur creativity and innovation um, by doing that. But but on the other side of it, uh, you're telling me that uh, FaceTime is important, I guess, to develop that. Absolutely. Well, it's about it's about teamwork, you know, and I, I believe if, if you work by yourself, um, you're able to, you know, foster all the creativity that you need. And I do agree that when you um, are away from, you know, an environment w- that's very structured, you're able to um, really think differently and be creative. But if your role requires um, that collaboration with a team and it's not up to you to create that creativity, it's, it's simply up to you to create efficiencies and process, um, that's very difficult to do when you're not with the team that you need to support. And it's also difficult for them to know, let's see, um, is she working right now? Because that's the other element of what we have in our company is not just a flexible work environment but flexible work schedule Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And so the timing of which people are working doesn't always match up. And what we've discovered is when someone else that is maybe perhaps in the middle of a creative brainstorm or has a great thought or an idea and wants to bounce it off that coworker that isn't physically there and calls, they also are not just there, but they're also not working and they can't get a hold of them. And that um, when you're a new company and trying to grow and you need to be efficient and speedy, that, that just simply doesn't work. It slows everything down. And um, so, yeah, I believe that um, if, if you are together and people people tend to, you know, get more creative when you're bouncing ideas off other people. Hey, what do you think about this? Let's talk about this. And then, you know, one idea leads to another, which sometimes leads to a conclusion and a new process. And um, when you're, you know, not there and not available, it just the creative process stops entirely. Mm. Rick Clevenger, uh, technology has a dark side. I, I think a lot of people would, and I'm talking about tethering. <laughs> we, I've talked to friends who are just being driven to distraction because their employer expects them to be on the other end of that phone practically 24-7. 
I guess you have to, from, from the company side and from the employee side, you have to set some rules, I would guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, again, it's, it's real specific. If you're an engineer and you're in charge of a website and the website goes down, it doesn't matter what time of the day or night you need to be available. But it's also you know, within your control to put things in place to prevent it from going down in the first place. And, you know, again, there, there is um, certainly a healthy balance. Um, the, the tethering also, um, you know, it, it can create fatigue for a certain type of personality, uh, but other types of personalities feed off of it. They love the constant interaction. They love the ability to be fed information constantly and, and thrive on that. So um, I think it's as much uh, a personal preference as it is a, a role or a job-specific requirement. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I, I was talking to a friend the other day uh, who, was, in fact, I caught him on vacation. I didn't know. I just called his regular work number, rang through. We got talking about this because I apologize for catching him on vacation. But he said it actually relieves him when he can get some of these calls because he can take care of the problem. He knows it's taken care of. And then he can go back to enjoying his vacation, whereas he might come back to work and have a bunch of problems to work through. Yeah, we, we say, um, you know, don't wait for me to show back up online. If there's a problem, contact me, text me, call me. Uh, and that does create a, a great sense of relief that you don't always have to be at a computer to be contacted because with our mobile devices, a lot of times you can fix something on the fly and prevent having to rush home and log in to um, and, and disrupt what it is that you're doing. There's a lot of things that you just need an answer or a bit of information or a quick fix and that a mobile device is a, a, a perfectly acceptable medium to, to do that on. Yeah. I would. Uh, I have another friend, and, and you know, I, I can hear my listeners saying it's good he has friends. <laughs> we, we didn't know he had friends, but uh, but uh, this friend was saying <laughs> this was another setting. We're saying, well, why don't you get a you know upgrade your cell phone, or what? Are you, in this case, why don't you get a cell phone? And he said, why in the world would I get a cell phone? Then I you know then I'm connected too much, and I think you, you probably have that that sort of an attitude. Right. Well, and that's where the personal discipline comes in. And so research says that there are various techniques that can help. And one of those is to work harder so that when I am supposed to be working, I am focused, I am not distracted. Uh, If I'm working from home, I have a set place that allows me to concentrate on work and the refrigerator or the washing machine or children are not distracting me. So if I work really hard when I'm supposed to be at work, then at the end of whatever a work day is, I can go and focus on other things. And then also having that discipline to unplug. Obviously, if you have a website that you're responsible for, you can't. But there are many other jobs. Sometimes we think we're more indispensable than we actually are. And having that discipline to say, this is going to be personal time. This is when I'm not going to be connected can be really helpful for some people to to manage these challenges. Mm. I can see that that would be healthy. Some employers don't like it, though. I don't know if you've you've been in a job where the employer didn't like you unplugging. Yeah, I think that there's a huge advantage to employers that um, to have employees have a uh, workstation set up at home. Um, when you're working in technology and anything related to innovation, um, ideas don't come necessarily from eight to five. You might have uh, an amazing idea 
at seven o'clock on a Saturday and you're not doing anything um, necessarily that's disruptive at that point and you want to just go dig in and crank it out for a couple of hours and if you don't already have an environment set up at home access to some of the kind of uh, most basic things is is hard to do. It can take a little bit of time to set that up. But once you do have a workstation set up at home, the ability to go access it and use it efficiently is a huge advantage to employers. We're going to bring in our next uh, guest now. We have on the line Meredith Ferguson, who's assistant professor of management at the USU John M. Huntsman School of Business. Professor Ferguson, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here. We appreciate you being with us. And uh, so uh, we're going to uh, make transition now from telecommuting, uh, but we'll continue talking about some technology issues. But uh, I'd like to talk about work-life balance. And Professor Ferguson, I think you also talk about um, politics in the office and incivility in the office. I do, all of those things. And then very often they are all related and, and drive one another. Um, let me... Uh, let me focus this one first upon uh, on you, Professor Ferguson. This was very provocative to me. This is uh, Inga Geerdens. Uh, uh, I found this through LinkedIn. She's a founder CEO of CV Warehouse and uh, some other companies. And uh, this is the uh, headline to her uh, blog post. I'm not balancing work and life, and I feel great. She says her goal is not to balance work and life, but just have a, a great life. I think she would be in the minority. Um, I think you're probably right. Um, and balance means very different things to different people. Um, for some, that's um, you know focusing more on work. Um, others, it's f- focusing maybe more on their hobbies, and that changes you know throughout individuals' careers and lifetimes. And a lot of it's very um, related to kind of that stage they are in life, whether they have young children at home, um, whether they're single. Um, unmarried, without children, or whether they have aging parents that they're also trying to help take care of. And you just do some research, I know, Professor Ferguson, in, in how work affects family life and how family life or private life affects work. Uh, there are definite effects back and forth. Of course, we know this intuitively, but you've, uh, you've done some interesting research on this. Yes, that's one of my, I guess, passions in research is, is understanding how the two domains, as we call them, affect one another. And what we find over and over again is sometimes they affect one another for good and sometimes for evil. What are, what are some of the ways that the, the, the two affect each other? Um, one of my particular areas of interest is any sort of bad employee behavior. So that's where a lot of my research is focused on how you know, what happens at work regarding bad employee behavior may affect an employee at home. Um, Some of that research looks at abusive supervisors and how um, for a subordinate who has an abusive supervisor, that creates a lot of stress, um, and they don't leave that stress at the workplace. Um, They take it home where it affects their family, family functioning, family well-being, and it affects the marital relationship. And we find some similar effects even with coworker incivility, which is a lot... Um, I would say less um, egregious, you know, a very low-level behavior. Basically, it's rudeness, whereas a lot of times hostile supervisors or abusive supervisors, it's the intentionality seems pretty um, apparent. Mm-hmm. Rick Clevenger, um, I imagine you, you, you do a startup. It's just the two of you, you and Jennifer Francis the first, and you're growing the company. That must be an interesting laboratory to see sort of how politics in the office uh, grows as a, I guess, is a good thing and 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 is a problem, as you get more and more employees. Yeah, certainly. Uh, Jen and I worked. We both telecommuted for 
the first year, we didn't even live in the same city. And um, it had, you know, some advantages in that we were able to work at any day or night. We needed to put in that amount of time, but it certainly created a lot of um, misconception and uh, a little bit of confusion. You know, the ability to get on the same page when you're talking about something complicated or you're uh, working with things related to marketing or the way that you build community, um, you know, there, there were there were definitely both pros and cons. It was the reality of our situation where we didn't have the resources to pay for an office space uh, that we could go to, and we were doing with what we had. Uh, so it wasn't a, a direct decision that we made. It was um, doing whatever it took to to launch the company and, and make it successful. Uh, Jenna Francis, I'm curious to, to follow up. You you said you started Steels.com. Mm-hmm. Part because of some frustrations you were having in your work-life balance. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I was extremely loyal, loyal to the employer I worked for, and I loved my job. I loved my career. I had a great, great job, but I was a mom of three kids, and uh, needing to be, you know, somewhere at eight a.m. at till five, if not much, much longer. I typically did work late every day, um, and needing to take, you know, a vacation two vacation hours to go to my daughter's kindergarten program when I knew I was going to get back online at night and make up that time or, you know, worked late quite frequently, it, um, it does start to make you look around and say, man, this just, it just simply isn't working for, um, you know, life is, life is going to pass either way. And I want it to be my way. I want to be able to, um, be where I need to be that works best for my family and not feel like I'm letting my employer down if I, um, if I want to go to my daughter's kindergarten program or, um, you know, go to my prenatal doctor appointment and those kinds of things. Um, not that there wasn't the flexibility to do so, but it was a very rigid structure of, um, you know, taking that time off versus understanding that, you know, you work a lot of late hours and, um, and a lot of extra time and, you know, you could make that up at another time. So, um, just the yeah the your work environment um and it, again it wasn't a bad work environment it was just very rigid and it it was hard for me in a new sort of mobile lifestyle knowing that i could be very productive at other times and and make that time and 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 have the best of both worlds and the desire to have that type of a work environment and there was many other things in the work environment beyond the schedule that made me realize um you know this would be ideal if I could create that for myself. And my original goal was just simply to be my own boss so that I could come and go, be only accountable, accountable to only myself and my customers and, and, and be my own boss and have that flexibility to do what I needed to do and when I wanted to do it. But as uh, Rhett and I joined forces and started the company, you know, we really um, talked a lot about this altruistic you know, um, workplace that we wanted to create. And, and it's neat to fast forward five years later and, you know, with 70 employees now here in Salt Lake City, um, I do feel like we've created a lot of that, although we have made changes over time, like we said earlier with, um, you know, requiring people to come to work more, they still don't have to, you know, be in a seat at a particular time and leave at a particular time. So, but it, it, it is more structured, but I do feel like we are closer than ever to creating, um, that altruistic environment we wanted for our employees where they feel like they don't miss any important events and that they understand that, you know, th- that we get that family is just as important and, and want them to be there for all of those things, but also have a really, you know, exceptional career and make a great 
um, contribution to a company and, and be a part of it and watching that grow as well. And, uh, you know, again, even though we've required um, certain roles or certain employees to come to the office more, um, I, I still feel like we are extremely flexible with the time that they work and as far as what time of day and, and where that happens. So um, it is interesting to watch our our growth because when we started the company, we I don't know that we necessarily thought we'd have 70 employees and um, and we're continuing to grow, but um, but I, I'm, I'm proud of the environment that we've created for them. And it is, again, based on our feeling of the cultures we were in in the past, um, you know, that kind of taught us what not to do, if you will, or at least for the type of environment we wanted to create. Mm. Professor Ferguson, do you do you hear the, those kind of sentiments, uh, people leaving to start uh, businesses because they, they want a different environment? And um, what? What are some some of the ideals? You you study some of the problems, I guess that, that would right. get you thinking about what some of the ideal uh, work environment would be. I think some of the ideals are a lot of what it, I, I believe Jen was talking about. With I think flexibility is huge, um, particularly for people who um, still have children in the home or who are um, attending to maybe parents who are getting older, um, but even for people who are looking for that work-life balance. You know, they love their work, they love their family, but, um, you know, maybe they want to pursue a hobby or a goal that's outside of those two things. Um, I can think of several <clears throat> people that I've known um, and a few that uh, I, before graduate school I worked for um, Deloitte Consulting, and we had several people who adjusted their work schedule because they really, really wanted to train for, um, like, a, to run a full marathon. and. You've got to put in a number of hours every week to get that in. And so I think that flexibility um, for many people is huge, and not every job and not every organization um, can support that or, or chooses to support that. So that's one thing I encourage my students to look for if they know things like that are important to them. Um, look for signals in policy. Look for signals in the recruiting process um, when they're on the job market to, to look for those things that are important to them. And, and flexibility, I think, is one of the probably top three. We're going to take a brief break. We'll come back talking about uh, your working life and especially technology's effects on your life when we're asking you uh, uh, how how your workplace is changing. What are the rules at your uh, company? Do you agree with those? Uh, tell us about, about your job. The number is 1-800-826-1495, or you can join us at upraxis at gmail.com. We're talking with uh, Kathy Chudaba, Associate Professor of Management Information Systems in the USU John M. Huntsman School of Business, Meredith Ferguson, Assistant Professor of Management in the Huntsman School, uh, Jana Francis is President, Rhett Clevenger, CEO, respectively, of Utah-based Steels.com. Uh, when we come back, I'll ask uh, Professor Chudaba about uh, the... What some of the technology is on the horizon? Uh, always, always interested to hear about the the new cool stuff and how that is affecting our workplace. We'll be back after the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Utah Shakespeare Festival presenting the marvelous Wonderettes with seven other productions June through October in 2013 in Cedar City. www.bard.org Waste not. Do not overwater your grass. If the grass bounces back a few steps later, then things are just fine. If your footprints stay halfway or all the way down, then it's time to drag out the hose, though we suggest checking to see if rain is in the forecast first. 
Waste Not is made possible by the Logan City Public Works Water Conservation Department. Information at loganutah.org slash publicworks. Programming on Utah Public Radio is also provided by Logan Summerfest Arts Fair, June 13th through 15th, featuring Providence artist Kay Holman, daily musical performances, food, and children's activities, in addition to jewelry, photography, pottery, and fine art. Information at logansummerfest.com. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about uh, the workplace. It is changing. Technology is driving a lot of that change. And we're asking you how this is affecting your workplace. Uh, Is it changing? How is it changing? What's your job like? And what are your company's rules? Uh, Do you agree with those? Love to hear about your job at 1-800-826-1495, or you can join us at upraxis at gmail.com. And we're talking with uh, Rhett Clevenger, who is CEO, and Jenna Francis, who's president of uh, Utah-based company Steels.com. Meredith Ferguson, who's assistant professor of management in the OSU John M. Huntsman School of Business, joins us by telephone. And in studio with us is Kathy Chudaba, associate professor of management information systems in the Huntsman School. Professor Chudaba, uh, always curious to hear about the, the latest and greatest um, the technology out there. And in general, how this is, how this is changing the workplace, the good and bad changes, I imagine. Well, certainly if you're going to support a telecommuting uh, culture in your organization, whether it's one or two days a week or full-time telecommuting, you've got to have that technology infrastructure in place. And many organizations today are looking to use what is called the cloud. So things like Dropbox, having these online repositories that are available through the internet anytime, anywhere. But when you put in that kind of infrastructure, organizations also need to think very carefully about the security implications. And so there are many, many vendors that are offering uh, technology for repositories, uh, technology for face-to-face video conferencing, go to meetings, Skype, those kinds of things. But you have to think very carefully about the security issues Uh, and the extent to which your organizational secrets and uh, policies and plans might be compromised because it is so freely available uh, uh, through the Internet Mm -hmm. to people. I worry about that as I migrate more and more to to Google Mm -hmm. and live in the cloud. It's so convenient. Yes. But then I worry about security. Uh, so, so I guess the one piece of advice I imagine would be don't put anything that is really sensitive to you on there, on the cloud. Well, certainly there's security. And uh, in the news this week, we know that the whole issue around privacy and do we have privacy uh, anymore? What was it? Uh, uh, Ellison, the uh, head of Oracle, said, you don't have privacy anymore. Get over it, uh, which may or may not be the case. But yes, we do need to think very carefully. And so that's that's the responsibility of the, the IT staff to investigate and uh, come up with appropriate policies and procedures for that. And of course, um, in this case, it wasn't really the technology, it was a person. So yes. how do you do That's going to be the most complicated thing to vet the people. People are always, mm-hmm. someday you'll have to have a, a show on security, but people are the weakest link mm-hmm. in yeah. any kind of security policy. It's not the technology. Professor Ferguson, I'd, I'd like to come back to this idea of this work-life balance. And, and if, if you're dissatisfied with your work-life balance, 
some people feel stuck because mm-hmm. you know today's economy. <clears throat> but how do you how do you solve that? What do you what would you suggest to people who uh, who, are, who are just unhappy about that balance at the at the present time? Well, like I said before, I think balance means different things to different people and different organizations. And, you know, address it differently as well. I think the first place I would start if I was an employee dissatisfied with work-life balance is to first explore any sort of um, support or policies that my organization has regarding work-life balance. Um, sometimes that may be a flexible work arrangement. Um, when um, I was early in my career, <clears throat> we had a small child at home, and I worked a 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. shift so that um, – we could spend more time with our son. And so um, looking for those things that may already be in place, but maybe that you're unaware of. Um, and if you don't find what you're looking for there, having a real um, honest but, of course, respectful conversation with, with your supervisor about um, what is working for you, what's not. And I think the really critical thing to get that work-life balance, especially if you're asking something on behalf of the organization, you know, to give you a flexible work arrangement that maybe isn't typical um, or to cut back to maybe part-time work for a period of time, um, is to sell it to the organization, what's in it for them. Um, you know, I think there are some organizations and some supervisors, uh, like Jenna talked about, that are, are altruistic and want to create an environment that supports the well-being of their, their um, employees, but there are also many that are, are most um, focused on that bottom line. And so the employee who's looking for a, a change in their situation to support better work-life balance needs to think about it from the organization's point of view. You know, how can I sell this proposal or look for help in a way that shows that it will be beneficial to both of us and not just to the employee himself or herself? Rick Clemenger, I, I, was, uh, I want to follow up with uh, something both you and Jen have been saying. You, you started this company. It sounds like one of the central goals was to create a, a good workplace, an ideal workplace. So what, what is an ideal workplace? Yeah, to mind? me, it's a, a place where you, uh, you make a, a good contribution towards um, something you know, greater than uh, what you would do on your own. And uh, the, the biggest... The, I think the, the biggest thing is, is feeling trusted, feeling empowered, feeling appreciated. And um, that was the type of um, environment that we wanted to be in. And we also wanted, um, you know, to be there for our families when it mattered. And we understand the pull and the strain that that puts on people. Um, and, um, an unhappy employee is, is not typically your most productive employee. So making people feel good about what they do and feeling um, you know, very much appreciated and trusted to do the right thing, uh, it's better than any other employee perk or gym membership that you could ever come up with. And that's how some companies handle it, I suppose. It's more central than that, I think we're already saying, Jenna. Um, Following up with what Professor Ferguson was saying, if you're unhappy with your work-life balance, you're seeking maybe some more flexibility, she's saying you need to sell it to management. As a manager, would you be open to to such an approach? Absolutely. I I loved her comment there because you really do need to, if you're looking for a different situation for yourself, you really do need to start, if you you like your job, you need to um, start with your employer. And I can't imagine any employer that wouldn't... um, listen to a well thought out plan from an employee that comes forward and says, look, here's, you know, the, the job and the role I need to accomplish. And here's how I feel like I can be the best worker that I can for, for this organization. And I, I think that that's a fantastic idea. 
um, being in that seat now and understanding all of the different considerations that you need to take, I would say that the the um, counterpoint to that would be what um, you do for one person um, on a staff could be assumed that you need to do that for everyone. And, uh, and that all just comes with simple communication. And, and like Rhett said, I think, um, you know, listening to your employees' individual needs is much more powerful than any overarching gym membership or any kind of a new company perk. I think, um, you know, but the challenge there, again, is that other employees um, don't look at someone sitting next to them going, well, that's not cool that they get to leave every day at 3.15 or whatever arrangement that you come up with um, when I don't. Because, you know, the reality is a lot of people look at um, what other people have and want that for themselves. Uh, Professor Ferguson, that's that's <laughs> going to be a problem that management is, is going to have to work through, right? If, if, if I go to management, I sell the idea of a flexible work schedule for myself. My coworker may not uh, may be jealous of that, or may may have a problem with that. Absolutely, that can create um, issues of, of fairness. I think one of the important um, I, I love what Jan- Jana had to say about you know it, you you tweak it for each person or, or have that um, that may be available. And I think sometimes those um, <clears throat> very broad organizational level policies that about work life balance don't always work that well. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it's. I think sometimes better, and I've seen a number of organizations do this, that have a general policy that says, um, you know, if, if you have a, an idea about work-life balance, you put it in writing, you put it in a proposal, you argue your side, you argue what's good for us, and then we evaluate each one depending on that situation. Because, you know, there are some roles or job functions within an organization that might lend themselves to certain arrangements whereas a different role within the same organization, it just wouldn't work well. Um, and so you do kind of, I think, have to make it on a kind of a case-by-case basis. Um, and I think management does have to be particularly sensitive to some of those fairness issues, especially because we know um, over and over again that when employees feel uh, mistreated or, or unfairly treated, either by policies or by a supervisor or by coworkers, they are much more likely to lash out at the organization, whether that's through theft or showing up to work and not really working, you know, goofing off or, or getting online to look for a new job when they're supposed to be working, or incivility, um, a whole slew of, of behaviors that, you know, an organization really would rather not have. Right. At the same time, though, research has found that certain employees um, are more likely to be successful in telecommuting. And so, for example, an employee who has been with the organization for some period of time understands the policies, the procedures, the way work is done, uh, is more likely to be a more successful telecommuter than a brand new employee who is trying to figure out all of those nuances of what it means to be successful at work from a remote location. And uh, we are out of time. We'll have to leave the discussion there. Uh, You can continue this discussion online at uh, upr.org and certainly upraccess at gmail.com. You can uh, leave us your comments. We have been talking about uh, how technology is affecting our working life. And uh, we have uh, been talking on telephone with Meredith Ferguson, Assistant Professor of Management at the USU John M. Huntsman School of Business. Thank you so much. Thank you. In studio, Kathy Chudaba, Associate Professor of Management and Information Systems in the Huntsman School. Thank you. Thank you. And with us in studio, Jenna Francis, who is President and Rhett Clevenger, CEO, respectively, of Utah-based Steels.com. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. Thanks. 
And uh, for uh, producer Addison Pace, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Wild About Utah, a partnership of the Stokes Nature Center, the Bridgerland Audubon Society, and Utah Public Radio. This is Linda Curvin for Bridgerland Audubon Society. If you're not familiar with blind snakes, don't worry, most people haven't heard of them. The 400 species of these seriously strange serpents are mostly tropical. Two species do occur in the southwestern United States, including western Washington County in Utah. They are small, many no larger than a shoelace, and have smooth scales and small eyes. Blind snakes typically live underground in loose, moist soil, so you're most likely to find one when gardening. If you do, don't be alarmed. These tiny snakes are harmless and beneficial. Look closely, or you might mistake one for a worm due to its pinkish color. A black light can be used to tell the difference, as Utah blind snakes glow fluorescent like scorpions. Blind snakes eat ants, termites, centipedes, and spiders. They can help control populations of these invertebrate pests around your home. Their jaw architecture is unique. The jaws work like tiny scoops to shovel the larvae and pupae of ants and termites into their mouths. Unlike most snakes, who only eat once every few weeks, blind snakes consume huge numbers of prey items very quickly. One Australian blackish blind snake was seen to ingest over 1,400 ant larvae without paws. Biologists in Texas report that screech owls sometimes carry live blind snakes to their nests. Up to 15 live among the chicks. Nests with blind snakes have fewer mites, insects, and spiders. Owlets in these nests survived and grew faster than owlets from nests without blind snakes. This amazing mutualism may have evolved long ago. At over 100 million years old, blind snakes are the oldest living group of snakes. Although considered primitive, they're incredibly successful if secretive members of our modern serpent fauna. Today's program was written by Andrew Durso of Utah State University's Biology Department. Our theme music was composed by Don Anderson and is performed by Leaping Lulu. This is Linda Curvin for Bridgerland Audubon Society. Wild About Utah is a partnership of the Stokes Nature Center, the Bridgerland Audubon Society, and Utah Public Radio. For transcripts and archived audio of Wild About Utah, go online to upr.org and click on the Wild About Utah link. Support for Wild About Utah on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Quinney College of Natural Resources at Utah State University, where students and faculty promote the sustainability of ecosystems and the communities that depend on them. Information at cnr.usu.edu. This is folk singer Michael Jonathan inviting you to the next Wood Songs broadcast. It's all about using music in your community. We have Ken Waldman from Alaska, the great songwriter Cy Khan, and Grammy Award winner Tom Chapin. If it's the last trip home, this could be the last trip home. It's music and conversation on the next broadcast of the Wood Songs, Old Time Radio. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1, 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD1, 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD1, 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD1, 88.7 Moab, and KUSUFM HD1, 91.5 Logan.